Thank you for joining us on the Overcoming Monday podcast, where we provide you little secrets for your big breakthrough. This podcast is designed to enhance your emotional and spiritual health. Our mission is to help you understand yourself, the people you love, and the world around you so that you can win where it matters most. In each episode, we'll hear from writer, speaker, mom, and pastor's wife, Shari King, as she invites you into conversations about the issues that matter most to you. Now, let's get started. Hello, Overcoming Monday listeners. I'm so excited about this new season. It's called How to Read the Bible, and my husband Clayton's in this episode with me today. Season 11. Can you believe it? This is your 11th podcast season. Yep. Season 11, How to Read the Bible. And um, I don't know if many of you listeners remember, but I've spoken a little bit about the fact that I'm in seminary now. And some of the stuff that I've studied has shown me how much I don't know. Yeah, yeah. And what I've realized is that you don't know what you don't know until you learn it. That's right. So it's always fun to learn new things. It's also fun to do new things. Mm -hmm. We're doing something new right now. Yes. We're recording our podcast uh, both audio and video. Yes. So hello, cameras. The subject of this podcast is something that people have asked us about a lot. They Mm. have asked us at different events where it's loud and chaotic. I've had a lot of people come up to me and say, "Um, how do I read the Bible? And I've just innocently said, you just read it. Yeah. Which isn't a great answer, but it's also hard to explain something like that in a big crowd of people. And so I thought that this episode and this podcast series uh, specifically would be good not only to be a podcast resource, but also to become a video resource for yeah. our new CKM resources page or website that right. we're going to have. Yeah. So as a ministry, we're trying to put more biblical resources in the hands of our friends, of the local church, of you know listeners like you. We want to help you in your walk with Jesus. And Shari, going back to something that you said, it, it's a good thing. Like the answer that you get that you gave, uh, I've heard you give that answer when someone says, "How do I grow?" You tell them to read the Bible. Mm-hmm. Well, that is a good answer, but there's more than just read the Bible. That's where you start, mm-hmm. and that's definitely the baseline. But what you're trying to accomplish this season in this series is to give people tools to read the Bible in a more complete and robust way with understanding and context. And, uh, you know, I think that sometimes the Bible can feel intimidating. So to say, just just start reading it, sometimes feels like very insensitive. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to be insensitive. I want to give people tools. And so that's why we're doing this podcast today. And if you are interested and you're listening in the video resource, I just wanted to make an announcement right now. Um, Clayton King Ministries is proud to announce that we will launch a resource website very soon. You can visit ckmresources.com to access video companions to these podcast (coughs) conversations and more. And for now, you can go to ckmresources.com and you'll receive alerts if you sign up on that page to receive the alerts of when they're released. Yep. So we're looking forward to launching that Mm -hmm. soon. And we're thankful for our team that's been putting that together. Yep. So um, what we're going to talk about today specifically with how to read the Bible is where do we get the Bible? Yeah. Well, you you used to go buy it at Lifeway bookstores, but they're closed <laughs> down now. Yeah. I'm old enough to remember Zondervan yes. bookstores. So yeah, the Bible is kind of like 
when kids wonder, I saw this thing on YouTube where these little kids went to a farm and they're like, oh, this is where food comes from. Because most right. people don't realize food comes from somewhere. You have to grow it in a field or you have to raise it on a farm. Same thing with the Bible. The mm. Bible actually comes from somewhere. And the beauty of studying the scripture is the Bible of all the books that have ever been written in the course of human history is not only the, the bestseller of all time by a mile, but the Bible has the richest history and the richest tapestry. I mean, it was put together over multiple continents, over thousands of years, 1,500 years or so, uh, dozens of different authors from different backgrounds. It's just a beautiful collection of not, not only history, but other genres of mm-hmm. writing. And we'll dive into some of that today. Mm-hmm. So the Bible didn't just um, fall from the sky on golden tablets. Mm-hmm. Now, our Mormon friends... They say that the Book of Mormon was actually given to them on golden tablets, Mm -hmm. but that's not how we got the Bible. Right. And so the Bible is, yes, we can buy it in a store Mm -hmm. um, today in our modern world. You may have one Bible at your house. You may have 15. I mean, you may have multiple versions. We have so many resources now but it wasn't always like that. So we're going to kind of just go through a journey of how the Bible what came into being. Yeah. And the beginning of the Bible is basically the beginning of the story of the of the Jewish people which weren't known as Jews in the beginning, Correct. but basically God um called a man named Abraham to worship him in a society where there were many pagan gods, but Abraham w- answered God's call to call to just worship one God, the one true God. And when he did that, it kind of started a story where, um, and that's not where the Bible starts. The Bible starts with creation. Mm -hmm. But as Abraham was called out, they started recording their history through things like oral traditions and stories. And so they went back to the beginning and they started from the beginning and kept a record of all the things that happened from the Day of creation to Abraham. Correct. And so it starts with uh, oral traditions and stories, and then it moved on to being written on like tablets mm-hmm. and Parchments scrolls. And scrolls, um, yeah. And so there's a big journey as to um, how the Bible was created and how we got it, how we get it today. <clears throat> I think one of the barriers that some people have in modern Western culture, which is where we live, mm-hmm. when it comes to the Bible is that they say, how can we trust anything that the Bible says because we don't have original copies Mm -hmm. of the manuscripts? We don't have original manuscripts. And so it's very important at the outset of this season to let the listener know the, the reason why we can trust the Bible and the accuracy of what we have now is because when you do the research and you find out exactly how cultures in that time of human history Mm -hmm. in the ancient Middle East, Abraham specifically, his name was Abram. We we meet him in Genesis, uh, I believe it's chapter 11 or so. Mm-hmm. He was a, an Iraqi. He was from Ur of the Chaldees, which is in modern day Iraq. All those cultures uh, that he grew up in, the cultures of the Middle East, they were mm-hmm. oral tradition cultures. Mm-hmm. They passed down not just stories, but they passed down specifics of their histories, their tribes, their families, marriages, births, deaths. Those stories were all passed down verbally and orally. And so because they were passed down verbally, there was a community that acted as a filter Mm -hmm. to make sure that if anything was repeated that was incorrect, you had a group of people in the tribe, a group of people in the city state, a group Mm -hmm. of people literally right there in your own tent 
yeah. that could correct and say, now hold on, that's not accurate. That yeah. you're not. That's not the you right said detail. Jason, yep. but it was actually James. Mm -hmm. uh, you said Miriam, but it was actually Martha. Yeah. And there would have been immediate correction. And so in reality, so many people in modern day Western culture assume that the Bible can't be trusted because it was written so long ago. Mm -hmm. But what we know now from scholarship is that the Bible is actually more trustworthy because it is an older book. There's been that much more time mm -hmm. for the story of the Bible and the details of the stories in the Bible to be filtered through the accountability of multiple witnesses and numerous uh, people that could correct it if it were ever wrong. Right. And I think that when we're young and we become Christians, we're so excited about the Bible. We're so excited to have God's Word. And it is God's Word, but it also has a historical accuracy that maybe we don't know when mm -hmm. we're young and we're first saved. And then if someone questions us about the Bible, it's scary. Yeah. Because they're like, well, it's an old book. How can we believe something like that? There's so many things that are different than our society. And then questions can come in your mind and you wonder about the accuracy of it. Um, but I want to read a few um, quotes from a book called Encountering the Old Testament. These are facts that can get, that can like solidify, I believe, your faith and just understanding how accurate it is. So the first quote is, faithful transmission of accurate information was an important aspect of society. Mistakes could have serious implications. And what that meant was that oral tradition and scribes recording what was happening in history Kings relied on that. Um, governments relied on these things. And so if people got it wrong... Yeah, there were serious consequences. Serious consequences from that. Also, here's the next quote. The scribes who copied the biblical text believed they were copying the very words of God. They took great care to preserve the copies they had received. So just imagine you're a monk or a scribe and you believe that what you're writing is the word of God. Mm -hmm. So you're not going to add to that or take away from it, because you would have the fear of putting words in God's mouth. Right. So they were very careful. And the third quote is, one of the primary groups of scribes, the Masoretes, knew how many words were in the Old Testament, as well as what the middle letter in the Old Testament Torah was. They were incredibly detailed and careful. And there's more details to this. I didn't put it all in there. They they know how many words. They know what's supposed to be the middle word. They count all the words. So when they were copying <clears throat> the Old Testament um, books, they would actually count the words to make sure they had accuracy. And then they would go to the middle and make sure that the middle word was exactly what it needed to be. Yeah. And I think for us... As post enlightenment Westerners, mm -hmm. we have and we don't know we have it, but we have an assumed arrogance yeah. that we are smarter than, that we are more detailed than, that our culture is more trustworthy with information mm -hmm. than a culture 2,000 years ago would have been. Yeah. But in reality, when you do the, the research, and I went to seminary and you're in seminary, and we're, we're novices compared to some of the real experts on this. Right. When yeah. you do the real research, you realize we don't have a corner on the market when it comes to accuracy when we record the details of our own lives. But they were much more in the days of the Jews. Mm -hmm. Specifically, we're talking about the Old Testament period, even the New Testament period when the story of Jesus and the apostles and the church was being recorded. It was woven deep into their cultural DNA to be specific and accurate when they recorded details. Now, the good thing is 
we're now through archaeology mm-hmm. being able to see how so many of the details of what they talked about in the Old Testament and the New Testament were accurate. Mm-hmm. There's been some archaeological finds just in 2019 recently that affirm not only that David was king, Tel Dan mm-hmm. is a ruin in Israel that I've been to, you've been to, where they actually found archaeological evidence proving that David lived exactly when the Old Testament said he lived. Mm-hmm. But then there was great argument about where the city of David actually was in Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. And just this past year, they found a small little figurine that mm-hmm. was they now know was a was a, a miniature version of King David, and they found it in a trash pile where they have been saying for years and years and years the city of David existed just outside the modern day city of Jerusalem mm-hmm. uh, on, on, been, on Zion's Hill. And as far as we know, I believe last time we were in Israel, they said they were trying to hold the information until they knew that it was completely accurate, right. that that actually was the city of David before they released it. Um, just studying it, looking through ruins and things like that. So. I think you're right that sometimes because we have technology, because we can record things and see what was really said, we have this um, just a doubt about times when things couldn't be put in a computer right. or the the date and time and actual seconds weren't mm. registered. But we have to remember that the people during biblical times and earlier, they were intelligent beings. Yeah who had the same desires as us. These scribes wanted the Bible to be accurate because they wanted uh, they wanted the people to know God's actual words, yeah. not their own words. They wouldn't have wanted that. And, and so, so speaking of words, yeah, words as we talk language. about how we got the Bible, we, we, we understand it was both oral and verbal tradition that mm-hmm. was passed down. It was also written and recorded on tablets mm-hmm. and parchments and scrolls. So let's talk a little bit about the language. You know, mm-hmm. we read the Bible now in English. Right. And on my YouVersion app, I've got access to dozens and dozens of different translations in English, but let's go back to the original language of the Bible. Right. So, you know, when I was growing up, I didn't completely understand why people were always saying, well, the Greek word for this is, and it means, or the Hebrew word for this is this, mm-hmm. and it actually means. And I just always thought, why is everybody doing that when I was young? Yeah. Um, but there's a reason for that. So Obviously, in the beginning, the Hebrew language developed, and that's primarily what the Jewish nation spoke. Yeah. And and some of them actually also spoke Aramaic, but Hebrew was the primary language. And so when you're th- talking about the Old Testament, those are the languages that they would have been written in right. originally. <clears throat> so when someone is um, giving you a message and they say, uh, the Hebrew word for this is this, and, and and it means this. The reason that they're doing that is because scholars and these super smart people go back who know this language, who know the culture, who know the people. They read the original documents, mm-hmm. and they do their very best to take those words and to translate them into the language, into our language, so that we can understand it as best as we can. Correct. Yeah. And so the different versions that we have out there, all the different versions that, and you know, you have the NIV, the NASB, all these things. The reason that there are different versions is because you have, um, some of them translating word for word, some, some of them translating thought Thought for for thought, thought. some of them translating ideas and plain English. Correct. And so that's why sometimes it's good to grab a couple of them so that you can compare them and try to get a fuller mm-hmm. understanding. Yeah. And so let me read this. This is from the podcast notes. By the way, you can get these uh, on the uh, on the podcast. 
Uh, Shari does a really great job. You do a really great job, honey, of putting these together. So this is straight from the podcast notes. Very important. The most reliable Hebrew collection of scripture is called the Masoretic Text. In 1947, a shepherd discovered scriptures written on scrolls by monks. It was called the Dead Sea Scrolls. These date back to 100 to 200 B.C., and they are incredibly significant to the validity, not only of the Old Testament, but to the history of the Jewish nation. So we can think now, how do we get the Bible? Well, the Bible existed prior to 1947. Mm-hmm. But in 1947, this little boy throws a rock into a cave. We've been there. We've been yep, there multiple times. Shepherd. Little shepherd boy throws a rock into a cave mm-hmm. to try to get his sheep to come out of this cave. Mm-hmm. He hears something inside the cave break. Mm-hmm. They are clay jars. He and nothing goes to in- shouldn't have broken. That's right. why he's like, what would break in there? So he goes to investigate. What is that sound I heard? He, he goes in, he sees these, these broken clay vessels, these mm-hmm. large clay jars. And inside of them are these scrolls that date back to before Jesus was born. And it's essentially the book of Isaiah. Mm-hmm. Ironically enough, word for word, accuracy Mm -hmm. to what had already been passed down and translated into the Old Testament. Now, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew with spatterings of Aramaic. It was translated into Greek. That's called the Septuagint. Yeah, when Alexander came and Greek became a a primary language. So the Septuagint is translated so that people can read the Old Testament in Greek. Well, when you go back to the original Hebrew Old Testament and you compare that to the Dead Sea Scrolls, which were written 100 to 200 years before Jesus was Mm -hmm. born, there's absolute accuracy. Mm -hmm. One of the greatest archaeological discoveries in history. Mm -hmm. It's just one more reason why we can really trust the Bible. As a matter of fact, when you go to the uh, Israeli Museum in Jerusalem, there's a model of the city of Jerusalem that you can look at. It's a small model. It gives you a scope of what the city looks like. Mm-hmm. And then you walk into the Shrine of the Book. I would really encourage everyone to go visit Israel. And when you go, you'll be amazed to see the meticulous care with which the people of Israel have preserved the Dead Sea Scrolls. Mm-hmm. You can actually see um, copies of those. It, it's technologically advanced, so mm-hmm. you can actually look at um, the Hebrew, and they'll give you an English translation, or they'll give you a Polish translation, or an Italian translation, whatever your your, your language is. <clears throat> but I asked one of our guides once. I said, "So, I guess they uh, the glass is pretty thick because you can see through this glass." And I just assumed that when you're looking through the glass, you're seeing the real Dead Sea Scrolls. And he chuckled. He said, oh, my friend, he said, those are not the Dead Sea Scrolls. He said, to the people of Israel, the Dead Sea Scrolls are the reason we exist. They are held in in an underground bunker. Very few people ever get to go there. There's more security protecting the Dead Sea Scrolls than protecting the Israeli nuclear arsenal. Mm -hmm. Those were his exact words to me. And he said, because the Dead Sea Scrolls gave validation Mm -hmm. to the history of our people going all the way back to the Old Testament. You cannot understand the Bible if you don't understand Israel. Mm -hmm. You can't understand Israel if you don't understand their concept of the book. Mm -hmm. So when God called out a people for himself that would be a testimony to the nations of who God was, and eventually God would bring a Messiah, his own son, Jesus, out of that people, the Jews, they had no history, they had no meaning, they had no context for existence outside of this book. 
The Torah was the first five books of the law. And then, of course, you have different genres. You've got Psalms and Proverbs. You've mm-hmm. got the prophets. You've got the writings. You've got histories. You've got lament, like the book of Lamentations, for mm-hmm. example. Minor prophets, major prophets. These were people of the book. And that's why today they guard the Dead Sea Scrolls with such care and with such a meticulous vigilance is because they know that their very history um, their history is what gives them validity now to exist as a nation. And that history has to be guarded because it's true and it gives them meaning and context in God's big story. And that really is mm-hmm. why we read the Bible, because the Bible is the story of what God has been up to in the world since yeah. it began. Yep. It's hard for us to believe in the validity of anything in the Bible unless we believe the Bible has validity itself. Correct. And um, there are is a mission by many people to try to disprove the existence of the Jewish people altogether Mm -hmm. and their history in the Bible. And so I can understand why they would be so protective about this, um, about guarding these Dead Sea Scrolls. Um, We're going to go into a break right now. And when we come back, I'm super excited because we're going to move a little bit more into the New Testament. We've been talking a lot about the Old Testament, but we're going to talk about the New Testament, the relevancy of the Old Testament to the New, and then um, a lot about Jesus. Yeah, that's right. So we'll be right back. Crossroads Summer Camp has been providing an exceptional summer camp experience to students and their leaders since 1996. Held in Anderson, South Carolina, Crossroads aims not only to be the most fun week of the summer, but our primary goal is to create an environment for each camper to be seen, known, and have a life-changing encounter with God. We bring in dynamic speakers, including Clayton and Shari, great worship leaders, and a huge selection of activities for any teenager in your student ministry. So head to CrossroadsSummerCamp.com to learn more and register your group. See you this summer. Welcome back, friends. We've been talking a lot about the Old Testament, and now we're going to move into the New. So I just want you to know this. There's about a 500-year gap in between the Old and the New Testaments, Um, and one significant uh, difference between the New and the Old is that the New Testament was mostly originally written in Greek, and that 500 gap a uh, 500 year gap is the reason for the the Greek language coming in. The Romans came in, the Greeks came in, started influencing that society and that culture. The Jews are trying right. to figure out how to fit in within that society. Yeah, so just for context, the last book of the Old Testament ends mm-hmm. and right right about that same time Alexander the Great yep. right after that comes to power. Mm-hmm. The Greek culture then expands throughout the ancient world. Mm-hmm. Wherever the Greeks would go in conquest, they would leave their culture and they would leave their language. The Greek language became the language that the New Testament was mm-hmm. written in because of the influence of Alexander the Great as he expanded the Greek empire. Then mm-hmm. the Romans come yeah. in the Romans then um, about 120 years before the New Testament is written or before Jesus is born, mm-hmm. they, uh, they, they cross the Rubicon, the Roman Empire begins to grow, mm-hmm. and they don't spread language as much as the Greeks did. They spread culture, they built roads. Yeah. Those roads really become delivery systems and mechanisms for mm-hmm. the Roman Empire to send soldiers mm-hmm. into other countries to take those countries by force. Then those roads become the the uh, the route for trade. Mm-hmm. So what the Rome what the Greeks did is they gave they unified language. Yeah. And then the New Testament is written in that language. What the Rome 
Romans did is they unified people through road systems mm-hmm. and through culture and even through conquest. So God mm-hmm. gave us through the Greeks a language that everyone could speak. Mm-hmm. That's what the New Testament was written in. The Romans, even though they were a terrible, horrible <laughs> empire that, that tre- enslaved people and killed and raped and murdered and pillaged, they gave us the infrastructure for the spread of yes. not just that story of the gospel, but the book, the yeah. Old Testament, and then eventually the New Testament. Or some scholars would say, and this is just a tip of the hat, some scholars prefer to say the First Testament and the Second Testament. But we mm-hmm. use for Old and New Testament because everybody's familiar with those phrases. Right. So a lot of people would wonder, why is there a 500-year gap? But if you look at the fact uh, at all the influence that the Greek and the Romans brought into the world, it seems like it makes uh, a lot of sense for Jesus to come at that specific time when language could carry a message and roads could make it possible for people to travel and bring that message to other people. Yeah, and the phrase in the Bible used is in the fullness of time. Mm-hmm. So God yeah. could have picked any time in human history to send his son, the Messiah, mm-hmm. but he picked this particular time out of his own wisdom. Yeah. And he used the, and he used the Greek language and the Roman roads to, to make that message accessible to the rest of the world. Right. And so in our world, I think, especially in Western societies, a lot more people gravitate toward reading the New Testament. I think there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, when you just look at a book and you read new or old, what are you going to read? The yeah, new. The new right. <laughs> because we are a society that values things that are new. Um, and But honestly... The New Testament is not really that new. There's uh, 1,900 years uh, from now. Backwards. Backwards to when it was written. Um, It also seems more relevant because the Old Testament a lot of times is emphasized as being about the law while the New Testament is about Jesus. And so if you had a choice, if that's your understanding, that if you believe the Old Testament is about the law and the New Testament is about Jesus, what are you going to read about? (laughs) Probably Jesus. Um, Although I don't think that that is a true understanding of the Old Testament. Also, some of the stories and behaviors of the Old Testament seem primitive, maybe unbelievable, and maybe even gruesome um, to our world. Some of the war stories... Um, the New Testament also seems easier to understand because it's nearer to our time period and we might bond with some of the authors like Paul and, um, you know, the, uh, all the disciples because we've heard so much about them. And I think it's easier for a lot of us to understand the New Testament because most of us aren't Jews. Most of us Mm -hmm. are, are Gentiles. We're Mm -hmm. non-Jewish. Yeah. And so the New Testament in the first four gospels is a lot about the Jewish people. But then once the gospel happens, Jesus is raised from the dead. Then the story of the gospel becomes available to Gentiles Mm -hmm. and we get to see the growth of the church. And so we We feel more of a connection. Yeah. We identify with the Gentile. And I think that's actually unfortunate because while these may be reasons why we gravitate toward the New Testament, I don't really think that they're good reasons if we really understand the entirety of scriptures, of all the scriptures, how the new and the old go together. So I want to consider some facts that would kind of be, if you want to I'm, I'm just kind of playing devil's advocate here. Um, let's think about the New Testament a little bit. Jesus studied and lived according to the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. So if he studied and lived according to the Old Testament, 
should not we, you know? Mm -hmm. Also, he taught um, his disciples according to the Old Testament. He considered the people of the Old Testament part of his family. He considered the Old Testament people part of his religious lineage. And he also considered the Old Testament um, generations. That was his history. Just like we have a history as a nation when America came to be, Jesus believed that the Old Testament contained his Jewish history. And so that's very important. Um, also the new Testament writers were the last interpreters who had a Jewish perspective when they were writing, um, scripture. Right. So, so so if you think about Matthew, mm -hmm. so we end the old Testament with the book of, uh, of Malachi, mm -hmm. right. And then there's 450 or 500 years of silence before mm -hmm. the new Testament begins. What's the very first thing that we see in the new Testament It's Matthew. Mm -hmm. Matthew is a Jew. Mm -hmm. uh, he was a tax collector. His name was Levi, mm -hmm. and he becomes a follower of Jesus. But when he wrote his version of the gospel of Jesus, the mm -hmm. gospel according to Matthew, how does he start it off? Jewish lineage. Mm -hmm. And he proves in the beginning of the book of Matthew that Jesus was a direct descendant from Adam and that in his lineage was not just people like King David, who was a Jew everyone would have recognized, mm -hmm. but also even the prostitute Rahab, mm -hmm. who was a also a family member in the lineage of David. Mm -hmm. David was a direct descendant from her line. So there is a, a not just a correlation, but there is an unbreakable bond mm -hmm. between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And so when we do study the New Testament, you have to realize, like what you said, Shari, it's so true. If Jesus studied the Old Testament to understand who he was, mm -hmm. then we can't fully understand who Jesus is without some understanding of the Old Testament. And honestly, we can't really, I mean, if you're talking about starting the New Testament with Matthew and then there's a lineage, think of all the people you have no idea who you're reading about mm -hmm. unless you go back to the Old Testament and try to figure out who they are. Right. So a lot of times we'll lazily skip over a lineage, but it's there for a reason. And Matthew put it there for a reason. It's because he valued the people mm. who were in that lineage. Yeah and what they represented. So you can't throw the Old Testament out. I don't believe that you can. And so if the history of Christianity is based in Judaism, should we not also try to understand the Old Testament? So anyway, I just uh, I wanted to bring all of that out and show how the New Testament actually is very connected to the Old. Right. You can't really, and this is not, I'm not taking a dig at Andy Stanley. If anybody, there was some controversy recently. Andy's a good friend and he made a statement and I understood the context, which was a good statement. He said, um, in some ways we have to unhitch our faith from the Old Testament. I know what he meant. So let me just use that phrase. It didn't mean what a lot of people accused him of, of saying, but we cannot unhitch our faith in Jesus from the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. Our faith is not in the law. Mm -hmm. Our faith is in the resurrection. That's what Andy was saying. That's yeah. what his book, Irresistible, was about. Regardless of the Andy Stanley controversy, he's, he's a good friend and I love him very dearly. Um, regardless of that controversy, it is you can, only, you can become a Christian and only read the New Testament. Mm -hmm. That's fine. But you're missing out mm -hmm. on the deep, rich, nuanced mm -hmm. context of where we come from. Where does our faith originate? What is the genesis of what we believe? Why do we believe that Jesus was the Messiah? What yeah. even is a Messiah? Yeah. You can't even understand Jesus identifying himself as the Christ. That's Greek word for Messiah. Yeah. Messiah is Hebrew. 
You can't even understand the concept of a Messiah if you don't read the Old Testament, understand the concept of sin, brokenness, a fallen world, us being under the curse. You can't understand God as a father if you don't understand Jesus as the son and vice versa. Mm -hmm. And you can't understand any of that self-identification when Jesus says, if you want to know who God is, he's a father. Mm-hmm. When you see the father speaking at Jesus' baptism, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. None of that makes full sense yeah. unless you understand some of the symbolism and context that we read about from the beginning of the story of the people of Israel. And you can't understand that without the Old Testament. Right. It's a lot like a movie. So if you if you started a movie at the peak. At the apex of at the excitement. Apex, it wouldn't. I mean, like the the fact that Jesus came when he did and everyone was, the Jewish people had been longing for him to come for so long. That's the peak. Right. The whole Old Testament is this build up and down, up a mountain, up and down, up and down. Then you get to the top and Jesus' Jesus's crucifixion and resurrection mm-hmm. is the peak yeah. of that, of the story. Right. So if you don't have the beginning of it, the peak doesn't seem quite as like exciting. Yeah. And if you'll even reading through the New Testament, if you will notice how many times the gospels will say, and this was done in accordance with the scriptures, mm-hmm. this was done in fulfillment of the scriptures. Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, you uh, and I were talking as you were putting together the, the, the mm-hmm. notes for the podcast about Luke 24 yeah. and Jesus on the road to Emmaus. Mm-hmm. Right. And he's talking with those two witnesses. Right. And he identifies himself as the star of the story. Yeah. And we'll be talking about that in the next podcast. Yeah, a good so you should tune for... in. But you wanted to talk a little bit about Jesus when he was in Capernaum and he opened the scroll. Yeah. So so as we kind of as we kind of pivot a little bit, let me let me help uh the listener understand how it is so so beautifully important for us to love the Old Testament and the New Testament, to not see them as separate books. So Jesus goes to Capernaum in Luke chapter four. Um, Jesus was familiar with that town. That was where Peter lived. That was where Andrew lived. And there was um, a synagogue there. The ruins are still there today. Jesus has just begun his earthly ministry. So he's about 30 years old. And now he is He's aware of his calling. He knows that he is called to preach Mm -hmm. the kingdom of God. And in Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 30, it says, He came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. As usual, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. Um, I actually, I said Capernaum, but it it is Nazareth. Capernaum is where Peter lived, but Nazareth was where Jesus was raised, mostly because his father, Joseph, was a carpenter. And Nazareth was where carpenters lived Mm -hmm. when they worked in the city of Sepphoris, which was just a mile or so away. So it says that Jesus unrolled the scroll and he found the place where it is written. And then he quotes from Isaiah. And here's what Jesus does the first time he preaches. He quotes these verses. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the Mm -hmm. poor. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He then rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down and the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were on him. And then Jesus said this. Now this is where I'll, where I'll end today. As you listen this scripture has been fulfilled in your presence. Mm-hmm. Jesus' first public sermon, mm-hmm. he preached from Isaiah. Mm-hmm. Jesus' first public appearance as a rabbi, 
his first opportunity to reveal himself as Messiah, he did not disconnect from, he did not uncouple from, he did not do it outside of the authority of the Old Testament. He goes straight back to the book. Mm -hmm. For Jesus to understand who he was, he had to understand what the scripture said the Messiah would do and who the Messiah would be. Mm -hmm. And so that's where we get to be now as believers, 2,000 years after the resurrection. We get to look back on this story. We get to eavesdrop on it. And with context understanding, get a deeper understanding and a richer love for who Jesus really is. Yeah. And if you're listening in the car, um, you may not be able to look at this, but it's really interesting how we're talking about how the New and the Old Testament are connected. Even after um, verse 22, when Jesus, uh, verse 21 says that, if you go down to uh, verse 24, he says, truly, I tell you, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. Um, But I tell you, there were certainly many widows in Israel in Elijah's day when the sky was shut up for three years and six months while a great famine came over all the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them except a widow at Zarephath in Sidon. And the private prophet in Elisha's time, there were many in Israel who had leprosy, and yet none of them was cleansed except Naaman, the Syrian. When they heard this, everyone in the synagogue was enraged. They got up, drove him out, and they brought him to the edge of a hill and where their town was built, intending to hurl him over the cliff. But he passed right through the crowd and went on his way. So if you don't understand the Old Testament or who Elijah is or who Elisha is. And, or who Naaman was. Or who Naaman is. Or or like, why are they getting so angry at Jesus? Because he's comparing himself to some of these prophets of old. Mm-hmm. He's saying basically... I am here now. Yep. And he's claiming to be a prophet like these guys who they've honored for so many years. <clears throat> if you disconnect yourself from the Old Testament and never read about Elijah or Elisha or the fact that there was a famine or that there were widows that were suffering and there's Naaman who is saved and all of these things, you lose the meaning of this argument and right. why they're so angry at Jesus. Well, and the reason why they're so angry at Jesus, this is a great example of why the Old Testament is so important. In Luke 4, they want to kill Jesus because Jesus makes Naaman the hero. Naaman, who is cleansed from his leprosy, is the only one who was cleansed, mm-hmm. and he was not an Israelite. Mm-hmm. He was a Syrian. He was a Gentile. So when Jesus begins his earthly ministry, he does it in Nazareth, in the mm-hmm. synagogue, reading from Isaiah. He identifies himself as the fulfillment of Bible prophecy. And then when he uses an example of faithfulness to God and God's blessing, he says it wasn't the Israelites in the days of Elijah mm-hmm. that got God's blessing and favor. It was a Gentile. It was Naaman. It was a Syrian. He was the only one who received God's favor and healing. And that's why they got angry Mm -hmm. because Jesus was coming to blow nationalism out of the water to say, God is not just for the Jews. God is for the whole world. World. So now he does over and over, over and over throughout his Samaritan woman. Yep. Uh, with the, um, we call, you know, who's your neighbor, um, the story you know, where of the, the Samaritan the, is the hero. The good and the, Samaritan, the, good the Samaritan. parable of the good Samaritan. They didn't think Samaritans were good, but we label it the good Samaritan. Um, but anyway, so Jesus does this. He turns things over all the time. Like Rahab wasn't a Jew either, but she's a hero. And, and she was a prostitute and yes. she is in the lineage of David. Now that goes all the way back to the Old Testament. Yeah. That's the Rahab, the prostitute in the, in the city of Jericho. Mm-hmm. So we see this theme yes. throughout the Bible that God uses the nation of Israel 
for his own purposes, but that the good news of the gospel of the kingdom is not just for the Israelites, it's for the whole world, which kind of brings us to the start of the religion of Christianity. So, yeah, so I just want to end, I'm going to read this out because I feel like I wrote it so well, I'm afraid I'm not going to say it well. Yeah, you did write it really Um, well. But what I want to say as we're ending this and concluding this podcast and video podcast resource today is that um, Jesus didn't come to start a new religion called Christianity. Hmm. He came to continue the faith that God began in Abraham in the beginning. And so... Many people believe that Jesus came to start the religion of Christianity, but D.A. Carson asserts that Jesus scarcely intended to found an entirely new religion. In fact, in Matthew 5, 17 through 20, Jesus states that his intention was not to abolish or do away with the law, but rather to fulfill it. So he's not trying to do away with the Old Testament. He is the fulfillment of it, and he's trying to help us see it in a new light. In other words... Jesus overcame our sin so that we could overcome it too. Not try to get away with sinning because he died for us, but to overcome our sin. However, Jesus taught the law through a different lens than many of the Pharisees. So Jesus lived a life of holiness through obedience to the law, but it was through the power of the Spirit rather than the efforts of his flesh. Jesus' mission was not to create a new religion apart from Judaism, but rather to serve as Messiah who freed them from the slavery of human effort by giving them the Holy Spirit who would help them rule over their sin in the Spirit. Belief in Jesus was to be a continuance of the Old Testament story of God reaching out to humanity, not a brand new start. Yeah, amen. So well said. that's where I'm going to drop the mic because I thought about that for a long <laughs> yeah, time. Well said. Um, and in summary, basically, the Bible we have today has been handed down to us from our spiritual forefathers. So when you read about the people in the Old Testament, think of them as your spiritual mothers and fathers yeah. who are pouring into you. We can trust the historical accuracy of the Old Testament because Jesus and the apostles trusted its accuracy and authenticity. And we read the New Testament in light of the Old Testament so that we have a better context through which to understand the new. They aren't separate entities, but they serve as a whole. They give us a full picture of God's mission to love humanity. So Clayton and I have given you guys a lot of information yeah. to chew on. Yeah, it's you been may a lot wanna, of good content, I hope. Yeah, you may want to listen to this again, but of, above all, we hope that we've given you some little secrets for your big th- breakthrough. <laughs> big breakthrough. Let me say it today. Yeah. We hope we've given you some little secrets for your big breakthrough. In your Bible reading. Did I do good? You did good. Um, um, we will be continuing this season and the upcoming weeks and hope to hear from you on our Overcoming Monday Instagram account. And we hope that you have a great day. We're thankful that you chose to listen to Overcoming Monday, a production of Clayton King Ministries. This podcast happens because of you, and there are three ways that you can help us reach even more people. One, be sure to share us with your friends and follow Shari on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at ShariKing99. The second way is that you can also make a tax-deductible donation to Clayton King Ministries, a 501c3 nonprofit, at claytonking.com give. 
And third, of course, subscribe to our podcast. Get on your favorite podcast platform and hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode. And for more encouragement to move you forward in your faith, check out Shari's amazing blog at shariking.com. Thanks again for listening, and we hope that we've given you something to help overcome this Monday.